Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. everybody. It is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another edition of the Hop Nerd podcast coming to you live from the sunny and the beautiful downtown Phoenix, Arizona. How are you? I hope you're doing amazing. Things are outstanding on my end, mostly due to all of you. I've got to have some amazing conversations over the past couple weeks. I've got to meet a lot of you in person. It has just been a really awesome time. Busy, but a really awesome time. Before we get started, make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Send me an email, thehopnerd at gmail.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter, because it is super duper special. That is The Hop Nerd 1. Make sure you use that handy dandy text message number down below to shoot me a text. Give me a call. Leave me a voicemail. Again, email, text, slide into the DMs. I want to have that conversation with you. That is the best part about this whole thing. I had an amazing conversation, and that's what you're getting ready to hear, with the awesome, the amazing, the really cool Ian Allison. So if you don't know Ian, if you haven't heard of Ian, you should go check him out. He's on LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. Um but Ian is just awesome. He's someone that I respect greatly in our profession, someone that I look up to greatly in our profession. Uh, and I think you'll really, really enjoy this conversation. Uh, this is really just Sam and Ian hanging out, recording for almost two hours, <laughs> just going down various rabbit holes of human and organizational performance, and just safety stuff in general. So this is super long. I'm going to break it down into two episodes. You're going to get part one today. You'll get part two the, the following week, uh, and I won't hold you up anymore. Here we go. Sam Goodman, Ian Allison, talking about human and organizational performance. So I'm here with the one and only Ian Allison. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Ian? Tell everybody about yourself, what you do, where you come from, all that kind of stuff. Hey, Sam. Uh, my name is Ian Allison. Born and raised Arizona, Tuba City specifically. Uh, married, me and my wife. We have a seven-month-old boy. Uh, that's that's a challenge in itself, but loving every minute of it, every second of it. Um, I uh, safety professional for a little under ten years. And then recently made the switch over to supply chain. I uh, started out after college, graduated with a degree in environmental science. I thought I was going to be an environmental guy at a plant. And then went and started a utility company and really as a laborer because 2010, it was rough out there. Couldn't really get a job, get a, good, get a job even with a bachelor's degree. And um, had to get in my front door as a laborer and swung a spike mall on a railroad for a living for a little bit. And then moved over to safety kind of in a in anticipation to move over to environmental, never did, stayed in safety, started enjoying it a little bit more, then ended up moving on to uh, work for a university, kind of did a lot, a little bit of everything. It's kind of what you do at a university, a little bit of fire, uh, inspections, a lot of the project management for asbestos and lead remediation, just a ton of that stuff in the old university. And then eventually moved back to the utility space where 
I bounced around a gas plant, coal plant, and then worked a little bit of corporate environment for a couple of years. Did a lot of kind of project management oversight, um, really delving into kind of just almost metric managing <laughs> at a certain point, unfortunately, and then kind of started down that road of um, what we've talked about, Sam, in the past of challenging zero and kind of started conversations and then you came along and really pushed things forward, gave things a lot of a lot of inertia, a lot of momentum, and that's kind of where things are. It's just um, really along for the ride at this point, but looking at it now externally from the uh, supply chain side. And I recently started my MBA um, almost done with my first year, so that's another another layer to the mm-hmm. complexity. So I will I will tell you that you're absolutely insane to be doing your MBA <laughs> <laughs> during during all of this. Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely a challenge. Um, what made you? I'll just put it like this: What made you run away from home and, and leave safety and jump into <laughs> something else? I think that's a really interesting for interesting sure. Move. For sure. Uh, I, so because I fell into safety, uh, I think I'll like a lot of safety practitioners do. We end up just falling into the profession. Um, I think more and more we see people choosing it as a major in college, but I certainly didn't even know it was a thing when I was in college, and my college didn't have it as a major. So uh, I was always curious of what's on the other side of the fence, and um, an opportunity was offered to me, and I just thought, let's just see what else is out there. I felt like, uh, you know, as a CSP, I could eventually go back eventually and try to get another safety job uh, down the road. But I really, I think for myself, I wanted to just prove that I could do something other than safety. And it's so hard to get away from that though. Um, because even in supply chain on the other side of the fence, looking at safety on the outside, looking at it in just a different lens, you just can't get away. So I think I'll definitely be back, especially, you know, what I wanted to talk about was, um, one of my classes, my first class in my MBA was organizational behavior and, Right when I left safety was right before I started the program. I had just started my supply chain job as a program manager. And my first class was an organizational behavior. And I'm just like, man, I can't get away from safety. This is exactly <laughs> like safety in a nutshell, even though it wasn't that. It was really the study of how people do work, you know, how the work is done. And there were so many parallels to safety. And um, I think just that class in itself uh, I think that's going to be my focus when I actually get to the elective portion of my MBA. But also, I think that that's that's something that I realize that I can't get away from it. Like I'm, I'm always going to be uh, a safety professional in, right. in some regard. I'm always going to have that mindset. Right, and that's one thing that that uh, for you in particular, you were you were an early proponent for a lot of this stuff. You said kind of challenging zero, challenging a lot of these kind of secret cows that most organizations kind of hold on to. You're an early proponent for what we'd characterize now as HOP, human organizational performance, or safety differently, or safety two, or whatever kind of wacky name we want to we want to throw onto it. But I, I think it's really interesting, the, the piece that you brought up and the piece that you really want to jump into. Um, and I've had this conversation with, with a few people more recently where they have this kind of aha moment that HOP isn't just safety. And I think that's a really interesting spot for an organization to get to mm-hmm. is usually safety is kind of the catalyst that starts them down this road where they say, you know what, if we want a different result, we're going to have to do something different. Um, we've kind of hit this point to where we're, we're really good at killing people at a consistent rate. We're really good at significantly injuring people at a significant rate, um, at least at a, at a pretty good stable rate. Uh, we've got really good at managing all the other stuff, but now we need to do something different because our system is perfectly designed to give us what we're usually getting right so we have to kind of change stuff up if we want to go down that road and safety is usually the catalyst that will drive us there but then all of a sudden they go holy crap this stuff kind of works uh, (laughs) other places too right Uh, the the general kind of hot principles can really apply to just about anything the general principles i'm I'm kind of an edgar shine a knight i guess i'm an edgar (laughs) shine fan Um, so the whole premise around shifting deeply rooted organizational assumptions around insert whatever here right yeah. kind of applies across the board, right? Whether it has to do with human error or safety or views on, on, on accidents or, or views on quality, right? We don't really have um, – I get in this argument a lot that safety culture isn't a thing. Right? <laughs> I get in this argue, argument a ton, uh, especially with some is of it, our, our nuclear it? brethren. Right, right. right. That, um, really, it's hard to even define culture. Much and less I, so let me interrupt you real quick. Is that because you don't believe that – safety culture exists in a vacuum is that your stance i I don't i just i believe that culture is culture 
Right? Okay. I believe organizational culture is culture. Um, and just at a very high surface level of that argument, we don't call, we don't call out and say, man, our quality culture really stinks, <laughs> right? That's a great or point. We don't, we don't call yeah. out and say, man, our maintenance culture really stinks. Safety is usually treated as a super-duper special thing for whatever reason. Um, we see that as we get into elements of just culture. We see that when we get into certain different elements of things. Um, we like to call it out and try to make it special, right. I think, because a lot of times we just don't know what else to do. It's kind of like safety culture is the magic word to go and fix nothing <laughs> a right. lot of times, right? To aggressively go out and fix the wrong thing sometimes. Um, but yeah, to, to, to the point for me was, again, just at a high level, is that our culture is our culture. If we have openness, honesty, and trust and all that stuff, it's going to dramatically impact you know different things. I don't think that people are just dis or not mostly dishonest. Um, people are not trusting of just the safety aspect of a culture. If you have a chilled environment, it seems like that would just permeate. I think, unfortunately, too, it's just a just a good buzzword to yeah, throw out absolutely. there. It's like social, um, you know, environmental responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, being an environmental steward. There's all these yeah. terms that you know really sound great on a slogan or at the header of some memo, email, yeah. uh, post, whatever. You know, look at how we demonstrate X, and it's evident in our culture this yeah. way. Uh, I think if you ask anybody what does safety culture mean, you're gonna get. Uh, litany of definitions mm-hmm. and um, terms and phrases, and it's not going to be consistent, certainly. Right. But I, I completely agree with you that it should just be culture. I mean, that's that's because ultimately, when you're looking at aspects of the quote unquote safety culture, those behaviors, trends, observations that you see, that that's going to penetrate you know into every mm-hmm. program that you have it's not just going to be just in your confined space procedure it's not going to be just in lotto it's going to be in how you reconcile costs it's going to be how you plan your jobs it's going to be in everything well i think it's really interesting and that's where i really really cling to, to the, some of the edgar schein stuff um there's a great oh, edgar schein has several different amazing books humble inquiry being one of the mm-hmm. one of his best works um, but there's also, I think it's the corporate culture survival guide or something like that. And it's written from a practitioner standpoint, which is super interesting, um, which spells out a lot of this stuff. It's a great read. So for folks that haven't dug into that, it's a really, really good read. Um, but a lot of what we're really talking about is getting into those deeply rooted assumptions, right? That's where a lot of the stuff that we see, the artifacts kind of come from well before we ever get into the programs and all the stuff, really the exposed values, which I guess would probably be what we would refer to as the culture that we see and feel a lot of times, mm-hmm. really coming from the, the difference in assumptions below. So you don't just have ones that are rooted to certain things. If you view human error as a choice, as an example, it's going to impact the way that you view lots of things, whether it be safety or otherwise. And I'll pick on quality because I just like to say quality culture because it's just a dumb thing that we never say. right? right. Um, but if you have somebody that messes up in a quality space, you're going to view that as a choice because the assumptions are, are in line with that. So whatever your assumptions are within the organization, that's what you're going to see exposed, and that's what's going to lead to it. I think it's a perfect, perfect tangent into uh, actually the gift I brought. I don't know if anyone's brought a gift to the Hop Nerd yet. But. So I, I had one. I, I, there's one laying right here, which is was not brought, but it was sent to me by my dear friend Chris Watchum from Mobile Mini UK. That's so awesome. I, I did a little video for them. And uh, he sent me this book by Gareth Locke, which is Human Factors and Around Diving. And I'm just now starting to uh, start to dig into it. So it's been awesome. It's been an awesome book. So I'll be the first to hand deliver then. That's I guess amazing. that's the yeah. way to do it. <laughs> gifts. I wasn't expecting gifts. Yeah. So it's actually um, part, part of the conversation we were discussing earlier at work, actually, about really challenging everything that you're saying. There's a book that I read in uh, my supply chain class I'm in right now. It's if you've ever taken any supply chain, anything, you'll have been recommended this book or read this book. It's um, heralded as, like, I guess, required reading for any supply chain class. It's been repurposed so many times, an audio book. Uh, I'm giving you a hard copy. There's also a graphic novel that was made out of this. Wow. So it's uh, pretty awesome. It's a supply chain textbook disguise. It's a novel disguised as a supply chain textbook. Wow. So it, it's a real page turner. Reads yeah. really fast, so I'll give that to you. Super cool. Um, this is awesome. Wow. Eliyahu Goldrat, I believe is how you say it. I hope I'm not butchering that name. Like the Goal. Um, it's not a great title, it's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> but once you read the book, you're like, okay, I wouldn't have seen it uh, awesome. named anything else. So the reason why I brought that is I'll kind of give you a quick cliff notes without trying to yeah, yeah. spoil too much. No, no, um, it's really a, awesome. a, a deep dive into manufacturing, a plant manager's life, and how he manages a plant that is – on the ropes, potentially on the verge of shutdown. 
and he's kind of just at odds end of like, how do I turn things around? And he gets to a position where he's about to lead a plant off the edge of a cliff because they're following these metrics that really are just driven by corporate inertia more than anything. They're not really founded in what is the goal of the organization. And so he has a, a mentor that comes back into his life and he challenges him with that question of what is the goal of your organization? And he starts throwing out KPIs and these metrics. He's like, well, our goal is to be efficient because that's what we measure and that's what we herald. It's most sacred in our organization. He's like, he keeps shooting all these things down. They eventually get to what the real goal is that they define as a plant, as a manufacturing plant of these you know, widgets, and it's to make money. Mm-hmm. And so then he would say, okay, do any of your KPIs that you hold so near and dear support that goal? And he's like, no, none of them do. Once they really unpack those conversations and they eventually scrap everything and then kind of repurpose, um, not repurpose, they, they, they re-engineer their entire metric system and whittle it down to what supports the goal of making money. And so when I was talking to you about that book, I really think that at some point we need to ask ourselves, what is the goal? Like when it comes to safety, like what is, what is the goal? And then do our actions, what we measure support that goal? I think that's really interesting because that, that's a conversation that we have a lot is in and around metrics in general. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a really interesting conversation to have. And I threw that out there not too long ago to some of the, uh, some of the LinkedIn fam, just kind of mm-hmm. asking like, what do you think we should measure measure? Because I'm almost to the point of saying that, know how much I truly believe in metricizing anything right? just because um, I don't know how much good it actually does us. But I, I think the path, the path that you're going is, is really interesting. Is I still think it's probably getting back to uh, not going complete anarchist in, yeah. <laughs> in metrics. There's a great book um, out there called The Tyranny of Metrics. And if you haven't read that, that's a really interesting book. And I think, I think a lot of um, – I think his name is Jerry – Mueller, right? And I believe mm-hmm. it's Jerry Mueller. Hopefully I'm not butchering that. I think that's right. Um, but a lot of the whole point is getting back to measuring what matters mm-hmm. and understanding that context matters a bunch when it comes to when it comes to using those metrics. Um, and I really love the example of talking about, you know, driving a car. And a great safety person is going to talk about driving. Duh. And there's, I'm going to talk about the handrails next. But, <laughs> you know, for so long, especially in the safety space, we focused on kind of what has happened. We focused on kind of the scoreboard approach. Um, we focused on stuff that's happened way back when, and it's kind of like driving your car by staring in the rearview mirror. Yep. And then we kind of graduated to leading indicators, but now we're just staring at the dashboard, and it's still not doing us like a lot of good because we're still kind of not paying attention to what's going on outside of the windshield right. and applying context to all of that stuff. It's probably good to glance in the rearview mirror. That's probably a good idea. It's probably good to glance at the dashboard, but really the more important stuff is actually seeing what's going on. And kind of to your point, what's the goal? The real goal is we're trying to get from point A to point B. But really, our goal isn't really to stare at the mm-hmm. <laughs> at whatever's going on in the car. So, I think that's that's really interesting. So, I always ask people that: is what do you think we should measure? Yeah. So, I, I'll, I'll ask. I'll ask. Kind of turn the play the roles in the book. So, what is the goal of your organization? Well, the goal of most companies is to make money, ultimately. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I, I would probably say to turn a profit. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, right? Right. And I, I think we um, we like to kind of play that. That um, well, I guess specifically, like to have a lens of mm-hmm. just safety of just your your organization with, with respect to safety, and I don't know if that kind of dilutes the message and gravity of the the question, the goal. But really, what uh, what would you say the goal of your organization with respect to safety is? So, I think for me, with with where we're going, it would be to stop killing people. Would okay. probably be the the ultimate goal. Um, I would say dramatic reduction in serious injuries and fatalities. I'd say that that would be a really good, a really good goal. I think stop killing people is nice yeah. it, it, for for, for this purposes. Little, little better, I think, yeah. yeah, and I think once you with that in mind to stop kill people, you know, will driving down OSHA recordables do that? You know, will tracking OSHA recordables do that? Tracking first aids, tracking. We, we thought it would for a really long time. For, right? for a long time, and I as, heard, as with most of industry, right? Hundred <laughs> percent, and I think that uh, going to this really takes us immediately into the pyramid and i've heard your previous guest talk about the the maturation recognizing it as a maturation point Mm -hmm. and i think we should leave it at that and move on and kind of say that it it helped us get to where we needed to be which is right here and now we need to reimagine the process find something that will take us to the next level because it it, it's really past its useful life 
And I, I think that that's exactly it. I think that's a really good way to put it. I, I like to get into uh, I like to get onto like the kick Heinrich force <laughs> sometimes, which is kind of fun, whether it be the pyramid or the dominoes or some of the other mm-hmm. some of the other Heinrich kind of stuff. But even even with him, at least there was some thought process going down that path of okay, how do we actually get into um, even even some of the thought of systems. Heinrich really got into some system stuff. He just kind of quickly scurried back to like human-y behavioral stuff and trying to trying mm. to work on that, which is really interesting. Um, and I always like to plug him a little bit and kind of call him the you know the grandfather machine guardian, which was kind of cool, but that's what insurance people do, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I think that that's exactly it. It's understanding that using that as a way to try to measure harder to control or prevent things from happening is probably not a really useful tool. I think we've We've seen that um, to really get beyond the pyramid, organizations have to let go of a couple kind of sacred cows, though, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you have to kind of let go of this thing that lower level events are predictive of higher level events. Well, I think that another thing that we never do with safety is scale it down through the organization. Uh, in large publicly traded organizations, they what matters at the very top is you know shareholder price, and are we making sure. money for them? We don't push shareholder price to the front line, but we do that for safety. Right. What right. matters to an executive is the same thing that we stress importance to mm-hmm. the front line, the worker bee. And I think that is that has been a detriment. And we thought that, hey, that's the most effective way to, to push it down. When I think in the last – I can't remember who your guest was, but you all mentioned something along the lines of it's okay to track it. Mm-hmm. it it's not – we're not saying – Never pay attention to how many OSHAs you have, um, yeah. and then never track it. It's just maybe track it in, in the boardroom or track it in an executive office, track it in the right. C-suite. It's good to to track where you're going because to them, that's that's they mm-hmm. they need those metrics. You 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 need to see where you're going and potentially trend where you're gonna go. Even though we don't like to look at it that way, uh, and then pare that down to something that is useful for the front line. Well, really. For middle management, frontline management, and then eventually the frontline. Right, and I, uh, that that guest was uh, Josh Bryant. We we had talked yeah. into um, some stuff around um, for them TRIF for us, which would be TRI, right? Mm. Um, and their whole his whole point was that they they let go of that um, as far as pushing it down. Exactly to your point, because to me, it, their goal was this. And I thought it was a really cool goal. He's like, you could walk out in their drilling company, you could go out to any drill rig and ask. What 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 what's the TRIF? What does TRIF mean? And no one can tell you. That's great. That's a great thing, right? Yeah. So the whole point is to me was that 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 information, that TRR, that number, that number of this, that number of that, it's really hard to operationalize that down, mm-hmm. right? Because you get that, and even us as safety professionals, we've sat in that room and been handed that sheet of paper or looked or presented it on the screen and talked about our TRIR is one point blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. or LTI is zero point whatever, you know. And you kind of scratch your head and go, okay, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? Because it's history and I can't change history, and it really doesn't tell me about what's coming next. Yeah. So you can't really use it. It's not really usable down. I totally agree with you, and that, that's some of our common well, conversation I, with Josh. I think it's, that I think it's, it's a, good to push up and kind of up and out. If you're a contractor, you have to push it out a lot of times, To too. continue with the but, shareholder price comparison, I mean, same thing. You could go to a frontline worker unless they're highly inve- – unless they invest themselves within the mm-hmm. company. They, they don't know what our shareholder price right. is, like, and, they, right. and they don't care. Right. But – but how we drive our business decisions and how we operate on a day-to-day basis supports increasing shareholder price. Right. And I think we need to model how we perform in safety the same way. And I think that's why the holistic approach mm-hmm. of you know why when I took that org- organizational behavior class, I'm like, man, this is this is greater than safety. And we've always known that, but being in a non-safety course where safety isn't even mentioned once. And I'm in there, and I'm like, this is safety. Like looking right. at organizational behavior, how the work is done. And I think that's what Todd Conklin's you know, doctorate is in. I think it's in org behavior. Yeah. It is fascinating that we approach it as though there's a dichotomy. You know, There's, there's work, and then there's safety. Right. And then there's how we oper- – operational excellence, and then there's safety. Right. It's like, no, it's, it's all under the same umbrella. Yeah. It's like what is well, – how are we going to actually – make money as a company yeah. and i know we've kind of put it under like oh we hurt, hurt we've always had the well the cost benefit analysis you hurt less people you have happier workers you're going to make more money and yeah that's a part of it but it, it's it's really more complex than that because sure. it should be more interwoven into just what you said earlier going back mm-hmm. to your first statement it's it's culture just culture that's right. it right 
And we, we do that a lot of times, right? We like to break that out. We kind of mentioned that. We like to pretend that certain things are super special mm-hmm. for whatever reason because it's seductive and it's cool and we can threaten and say safety is different. We're extra hard on people over, over safety. Or we, we have an extra large stick that we beat people with for safety because it's super special and we hold right. near and dear to our heart. But it's really not. As you mentioned, it's really not different. Mm-hmm. And, and we kind of fool ourselves or organizations fool themselves when we think that we have a program that just really manages safety, right, or that we think that we can truly influence that stuff, because as you said, it is kind of woven through the organization, or it should be. And no matter how we approach it, it kind of gets back to the thing that safety is really a dynamic event that people do while they're doing work, right? There's really not something that we can kind of manage from the outside and force down either way. People are always ultimately going to be as safe as they need to be without being overly safe just to get the job done, right? That's kind of their goal throughout the day is just to get my job done. And I'm going to make the decisions that I think are best at the time to get that job done. And 99% of the time I'm going to get them right. And every now and again, I'm going to screw that up and I'm going to get it wrong. So trying to break those things out as super-duper special or different, again, I, I agree with you. I don't think it really does us a ton of good. I don't think it really does us a ton of good, and it really drives a wedge almost. How do you think we got to that stuff. point where we drove a wedge between the company and safety? I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, mean, I, I think uh, – well, one, it was highly re- – I think regulation you know, drives a lot of actions. I think it's sure. the same way that we have – we always say there's you know, safety is number one. Then environmental, you know, and then our, right. you know, our responsibility to the environment, and then they aim name some operational excellence, right. you know, uh, mantra. Whether it's uh, production quality, mm-hmm. I think because those two are highly regulated, maybe we right. put those for, for front and foremost. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I w- if if somebody does know, I'd love to see your comments or be forwarded an article, but it's interesting that we've matured to this point and it's not just one company. It's every organization where it's safety and everything else. It's yeah. environmental and everything else. And I really don't know. Uh, but I think eventually I would like to see a point where we have, I, I always used to say when I was uh, a safety pro that an ideal situation is where I'm not needed and I work myself out of the job right. where you guys can manage safety on your own and you would really just need like a consultant to say like, yeah, you guys are from a regulatory standpoint, you're in you're, you checked all the boxes, but from a safety standpoint, I have nothing to really teach you to show you to guide you because right. you are your own stewards of your own organization and your leadership frontline, every level of your management seem to own and drive your safety program and they challenge each other and they implement things that, support your model of continuous improvement, but more importantly are helping like doing things that make your lives better every day and then continue to go after the goal of kill, stop killing people. Um, but we're not there yet. I would love to be there. And I think that, um, the future is eventually some mixture of that where you have almost like hop professionals being, have a little bit of a safety hat, maybe a little bit of an environmental hat and you kind of just, yeah. have your managing culture at that point. And I think that's something that was interesting too, that you kind of mentioned as we kind of mentioned that wedge. Um, how much of that do you think came from that kind of, I, that, that ideal thought of scientific management or come from Taylorism mm. of kind of worker, stupid management, smart. Yeah. Do you think that some of that maybe came from that? Because we we tend to practice Taylorism quite a bit still, right? It's still mm-hmm. kind of approach that we, we still kind of take. I think so. Um, I think it's the same way that HR is so segregated from things. It's like, well, there's there's laws involved in this, and right. they can't manage laws, so we need to do that for them, you know. And I yeah. think, I think that uh, it's a detriment to the employees that come in through the door because they see that it's mm-hmm. like, well, everyone in safety has this color hard hat. Mm-hmm. Everyone in HR, you right. know, is on this specific floor, this specific wing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're not all integrated. It's yeah. it's very evident that like, oh, there's there's uh, divisions right. you know and i i think from an organizational behavior standpoint from a job satisfaction mm-hmm. lens uh they're 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 very observant and they notice that from right. from the jump and you know i think that uh especially with when you're looking at safety we're trying to tell individuals hey we're trying to help you to make your life better and we have stumbled across this newfound philosophy of hop, and we know now that the workers have the solutions. So tell us how we can help you, and then, and then after the meeting, you go back to your, you know, other side of the line, and we, we expect them like, oh, good, we made the message, we made it very clear that from this day forward, they're the solution holders, and but still, you need to 
kind of establish that trust where that those lines are a little bit blurry and they kind of view it as like, hey, we're all one team instead yeah. of there's safety and there's us. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting thing. And I, I really like your kind of thought on kind of evolution of the profession because that's, that's kind of my thoughts too is I think that as we kind of grow and you see the evolution of the safety profession, you're probably going to have some folks that are just straight-up compliance folks. But sure. the vast majority, I believe, is going to be some hybrid hop something, right? Because mm-hmm. I think as we kind of we, – we talked about that, right? What's, what's, the, what's the real kind of goal here? Um, and for me, if you wanted to summarize a lot of human and organizational performance, whether it's safety-related or otherwise, it's to become a highly reliable organization, right, to have highly reliable outcomes, I guess is kind of where we where we want to go. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's that's really interesting, um, especially with the evolution of the profession. Though, because I think, as you mentioned, we're going to have kind of the legal law kind of compliance stuff, which a lot of us really don't enjoy. At least speaking from <laughs> from a professional standpoint, right. right? That's the last thing I want to have to do is look in a regulation about anything. Yeah. To be completely honest. <laughs> CFR anything, I started yeah, going to sleep. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh gosh, are you kidding me? But you you started you started in down you started down a path, kind of talking about you know the worker being the solution, and I think I think that's a really really interesting piece to hone in on, um, especially as we kind of talked about going out, letting them know that they're, they're the solution, and then kind of going back mm-hmm. to normal stuff, or going back across the aisle to wherever or back to back to our hidey hole back to our office or to right wherever. because at that point but, it's just it, it's we can't treat it like another program no and I, I think that's what that's what's always scary to me with implementation of anything like hop is that we do a really good job as organizations going out and saying we want you to tell us stuff please be honest with us be brutally honest with us tell us through problems you're the solution we want we not only want you to tell us about problems we want you to come up with solutions and then we totally screw over the on the follow through <laughs> like, right we, we don't follow through on the other side mm-hmm. we listen we find out and then we just don't do a lot and i think a lot of times that has to do with just general capacity of leaders sometimes right. because organizations put a lot of junk on leaders typically especially frontline leaders uh, and they don't have the capacity to deal with stuff and stuff falls off plates and their, their capacity level is not increasing, but their workload usually is. Right. Right. And we say, well, when people tell you stuff, we want you to go fix it. And if it's super important or critical, they usually do. And if it's something that we all kind of have that moment where somebody brings you an issue and it's like, oh, the toilet paper is out in the bathroom. Okay, whatever, bro. We're yeah. not, not really high on the list of stuff to worry about today, right? And it falls off the plate. Right? We're mm-hmm. going to prioritize that stuff. So I think that's a lot of the interesting conversation I've been having lately is how do you better support leaders? Because that's where a lot of those interactions happen that organizations are never going to learn about. It's going to be in the day-to-day leader-to-employee interaction where I've got a problem. Hey, I've got a fix for your problem. Let's fix that problem. And as an organization, we're never going to learn about that stuff. So how do we better support leaders in, in, in fixing I stuff, I guess? I think it's hard because every leader came up in a different school of thought mm-hmm. for the most part. So some are more inclined to adjust their thinking to be hop, right. you know, have a hop mindset. And others who just can't let go of those, you know, what you call sacred cows. They believe like, oh, the rules got me to this point. The rules made me a director, a VP. You know, the rules improved uh, our share price up to this point and whatever, whatever the rationale is that validates them to hold on to that. Like it's going to be difficult to pry that away from them. I think those individuals, especially if they are somebody who are, who's well-respected carries a lot of clout and people follow. I mean, those, those are the individuals you have to win over. I mean, within our organization, we had a handful of those individuals and after they retired, we, almost collectively said, oh, now we can actually progress, you know, unfortunately. Um, And and it's not just with – it's with every organization, no matter how – what size or how how old, how long you've been around. You always have those individuals that you really need to win over, um, and it's unfortunate Mm -hmm. that you can really be paralyzed by corporate inertia because of someone who has the most – clout is unwilling to release their grasp on zero or whatever that you know ceiling is i think that's something that i found really interesting um interesting about just general hop implementation and i really am a fan of kind of the the generic adoption curve i think people usually do follow follow Mm -hmm. that through implementation at some point um but what i've really found is that most folks usually do fall into that kind of late majority 
at least with an organization such as ours, kind of big old utility, we're not very nimble, right? It takes a long time to get us turned in any direction, you know, much less the right one. That's extra mm -hmm. hard, right? Um, we just want to try not to sink the ship while we're turning it sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it's just a struggle. Um, but what I've really found with folks is that usually once they hear the hot message, um, and they have some time to actually go and, and kind of digest that and really go and kind of read and listen and, and you kind of share resources with them. Most folks kind of see the light. Right. I haven't, I haven't seen many and there's always holdouts, right? You kind of, as you mentioned, yeah. you kind of do get kind of those dinosaurs. Um, but as with dinosaurs, most of those end up going extinct. Yeah. Usually you, you kind of build enough momentum, especially organizations that are transitioning from traditional safety to kind of safety differently. You kind of hit a tipping point, and once you get past that, it's just stuff opens. I think up. what I think what really helps with that transition is admitting our own, because none of us safety professionals started as oh. hot practitioners. I mean, maybe there are now. I don't know, but we all started in traditional safety. We're very maybe maybe we were hundred percent on board as soon as we heard the message, and maybe others like myself were a little more resistant because. Mm -hmm. My my people who the people who are around me when I was first started hearing hop were very married to traditional safety that zero is achievable right. that zero recordables is not only the right thing to do but it's something that we've done in the past and we can hit it again because for some whatever interval that is important to the organization we met that at that time period so we can hit zero and right. so I was like yeah it's not possible right. you know we we need to stay or it's not possible to adopt hop it needs mm -hmm. to we need to track zero. We need to chase zero. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually I saw the light and uh, I was just like, man, what an idiot I was. And I think sharing yeah. that really level setting with them and be like, hey, even though I'm a safety professional and I'm standing up here in front of you telling you that the new direction is hop, that we're chasing a ceiling, that we're chasing a direction that will continue to kill people at a rate, if not higher, at least at mm -hmm. least of what we've been doing up to this point, And we're really going to follow it off the edge of a cliff. Um, I was there, and I'm and I'm here to say that uh, I saw the light, and here's here's why I think it is very important that we transition to this next level of organizational thinking. Yeah, and I, this, it's it's a really enlightening moment when you kind of when you have that happen, right? Um, I, I grew up in the same kind of school, right? I grew up from um, the contractor space, and TRR was super important to us because right. we liked to work, right? That was that was super important, um, and zero was was a really good buzzword. Especially to use with clients, and you can put up your your posters and your banners and your flyers, and you can have the flag that flies outside your your job site trailers that says "We hurt zero people." I, I, you know, I saw and, so exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. Almost um, at one point, you know, I at some sometimes I'll be like in the shower, and this will just like randomly pop into my head, and I'll just be like. I don't know, like, because the maybe it's just the the water coming down in your head, or whatever. Mm -hmm. it, it pops into my head and it just drives me nuts and like almost ruins my day. I put our incident rate as a because it was a low desirable incident rate on my resume. That applied for one of the jobs, yeah. and it was like something that I was I was really proud mm -hmm. of. You know, at the time I really believed, like, oh, we really yeah. did something, yeah. we really achieved something. And then when I sit there and I think about it, I'm like, God, what an idiot! I've, you know, I've done what that was too. I doing? What was I've, I thinking? I've for sure done that too. I, I've literally. Um, I won an award. I won't name the company. Anyone <laughs> wants to go back and knows knows, knows me. Yeah, I won't name the jealous point. Um, but I won an award for for lowering incident rates. That's, mm. that's that's literally what the paper said: dramatic reduction in total. No, man. So especially you know, and again, I, I, it, that is a that is an interesting way to put it and to share that because most of us that have been around this profession, if you started in safety more than at least a couple of years ago. You have stood in front of a poster that says we're going after zero. Oh, for sure. Right. You you definitely have. And if you didn't, you were in you're part of an extremely forward thinking organization. I'd mm -hmm. like to meet you and talk to you because you're light years ahead of <laughs> of most of us probably at this at this point. Um, but yeah, just having that wake up that wake up moment and going, Holy crap, I'm not gonna put another pyramid in a report. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to print any more zero banners. I'm not going to give out any more zero stickers. We're not going to come up with zero man the mascot. At that point, it's so yeah. hard to – every person is different. Mm -hmm. Every situation is different. Thankfully, I was at a point where I was – not that I'm not young already, but I was really young, really dumb, mm -hmm. and I didn't know – like the thought of being – let go for being an anarchist it didn't even cross mm -hmm. my mind i just you know went to the highest ranking individual 
at our plant and was like, this is dumb. We, yeah. we're, we're chasing the ceiling. What, what are we thinking? You know, and he was thankfully received it very positively. And he said, yeah, a hundred percent agree. And, and it was really from a, a mentor that went to saw, I think I remember, I think it was Paul Esposito over at seminar fest gave some talk and he had like blended some Todd Conklin isms and made this paper and the blue line, black line, kind of mm-hmm. just talking about that. And that really changed everything for me. Once I read that, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Right. And that well, that's what sprung me to go kind of tell the plant manager, like, hey, we we really reimagine everything, not just not just uh, for this month or this safety stand now we have upcoming, like, like everything. We yeah. need to really think about the message that we're pushing by saying that, hey, zero is not only our goal, it's achievable and we're going to get it because what I love what you say, you know, not, not anytime during this podcast, but you know, you want zero, we'll show you zero because right. what, what, what gets measured gets managed. And if the employees know that it's going to affect how they're viewed as a organization, like they're going to look out for what's, what's good for the company. And right. And I, I think that's, that's really interesting because you're talking about going to a manager you're talking about going to a leader and talking about this stuff and then being very receptive. I found, and I'm, I'll be interested to hear your experience, but I found that the most resistive, the people that are most resistive to to really going towards the new view, are other safety professionals. Oh my gosh! Right, hundred percent. I don't I, when when I have this conversation with leaders, especially frontline leaders and even managers and directors and folks like that, they they kind of look at you and go, "Well, yeah, we've been trying to tell you guys that for years, and you've been t- giving us the stupid well, pyramid yeah. thing." When when me and my mentor <laughs> went and uh, presented this, we were patting each other on the back. We were like, "Can you believe this?" Because the plant manager recommended you should do this at other plants, mm-hmm. and we were like, "Heck yeah, we're going to do that." And so that's exactly what we do. We kind of went on this little road show of talking about uh, moving away from zero, and then we gave it to the safety professionals. And my goodness, you're at 100% right. They were the ones that were like, are you crazy? Right. Like, zero is how we got here. Zero is how we have a job. Zero is how we, you know, it was just all about zero, and you would have thought that that the roles were reversed, like that they dressed up as linemen for the day or they dressed up as mechanics for the day because I would have never thought that from our peers we would hear that much resistance. And I don't know where that comes from. Um, maybe it's because you're almost telling people that how you've done business for your entire career is yeah. wrong in so many words. You're, mm-hmm. you're not directly telling them that. Um, and nobody nobody likes that feeling of being – It's kind of sort of scary for them though. I think that's probably it, right? It's probably – like yeah. I said, it feels like it's wrong because I, I know when um, um, what really started me down the safety differently path and I started kind of backwards – um, someone gave me the safety differently book, mm. which is really kind of like, you know, it's more like sophomore read and kind of, kind of the, kind of the whole scheme of, of hop stuff. And I'm just like reading through this book and I'm going, Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my. Right. And you kind of have all these wake up moments where you kind of knew in the back of your head. Like, I think it really just, yeah. I always share it like this is, is when I really discovered safety differently, it gave me a voice for stuff that I already knew is kind of dumb and different, you know, so that we've been kind of saying for a really long time, but um, for me, kind of in that position, um, in contract space, uh, you would be kind of run off for being an anarchist <laughs> a right. lot of times. If you did say that kind of that, that phrase that, that we're never allowed to say that not all things are preventable. People look at you like you have like an arm growing out of your head yeah. right? and they're like, what do you mean? Can you believe the safety guy doesn't care? <laughs> right? Yeah, and I, I, I think that you really need to almost lead with that is don't misconstrue my message for a lack of caring. If anything, this comes from a place of, you know, too much caring because I'm willing to say to hell with everything. Let's mm-hmm. start over. And people will be like, well, what do we do in the interim? Like we got to protect people. We got to track something. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I'm willing to take that risk, whatever you perceive it to be and – do something that's actually going to help our, our company, right. our people. More importantly, the most importantly is help the employees to feel like, hey, we're, we're moving in a direction that's for them. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, OSHA's to them, they don't perceive it as for them. You know, no. Even though that's what we're trying to do, we're yeah. trying to protect employees because of the thought process that as we get closer to zero – we hurt less employees, and you know it, it, it's going to push us down right. a road that we want to go. But but they they the employees don't view OSHA's in a way that's helping them. And I think that we we need to start asking that question of what would be helpful for you to track that would make you feel like hey when I look at that whatever we're tracking whether it's a qualitative or quantitative measure mm-hmm. we're showing something that is like hey we're going in the right direction we're trending in the right direction. And I, most of them feel the same way. Um, 
kind of about general OSHAs, if we're talking about just general recordables, as most of us feel in, this, in our profession, we kind of look at them and we know that it's kind of this bogus thing that's, that's managed, right? Yep. We, we look at them and we go, well, yeah, okay, we're going to put a hard number that thou shalt not exceed this number of OSHA recordables or you're going to lose money. There's usually some financial incentive that's tied to those in most organizations. So what we do is we get really, really good at case management. Yep. We get really, really good at kind of making that suggestion of maybe stereo strips instead of sutures. We, oh, get, yeah. we, we get we get really, really good at kind of the, that part of it. And then also you see organizations that start to get kind of fast and loose with their interpretations of the standards yeah. sometimes, which leads them. There's, you can go Google the articles about loads and loads of folks that end up in federal prison for, for sure. kind of manipulating to the point because there's 100%. lots of money that's riding on that stuff. And I, I wouldn't accuse anybody of that because we, we – um, most folks in our profession have a really good ethical backbone or they don't last very long, right? They usually, they usually don't last very long if they don't. But my whole point is that we get into this position to where it, the number that we really get really isn't that accurate anyways because we're really just, we're just really managing care. And to me, it's, that really kind of gets into a little bit of a wacky territory for you know, me because – You know what I can – I think that transition of what, what you're talking about is evident in the – in the age gap, I shouldn't say age gap, but the pending like tidal wave of retirement of safety professionals, because for us, you know, we're kind of early thirties people mm -hmm. in our age group, less and less of us came from the tools. You know, right. if we, if right. we are from the tools, it's, we're probably been in safety longer than we have been in the tools. Yep. And a lot of people are coming from academia. Mm -hmm. And so they're fed Todd Conklin and Sydney Decker at a younger age. And, um, people like my mentor are somewhat of an anomaly who've been 35 years plus in the safety profession and they kind of get hop at the tail right, end of their right. career and they're right. like, hey, this is a great idea. My whole my whole career has been you know, led astray and we've kind of been uh, going down the wrong direction and preaching the wrong things. Um, so I think that within our own safety professional you know, cohort, mm -hmm. we really need a kind of – manage the people that we're working with yeah and and not 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 even manage but just kind of really take some extra time to not to to understand that it's not a given that they're going to be on board mm -hmm. yeah um, because what you're saying exactly everything you're describing about managing injuries people have made their entire careers of like i'm a great case right. manager right. you know you should hire me because i guarantee you your incident rate will you know Go straight down. Well, and I mean, I, again, I grew up in that world. I, I, I would be lying if I said that I was not probably a pretty good case manager, right? I just, mm -hmm. You know, we've, if you grew up in the contract space around construction or <laughs> I go in, I know a good doc, doc right? I know a great yeah. doctor, right? I'll give you his card. Mm -hmm. um, great, great relationship <laughs> there, you know. Um, but no, it, it is really interesting because you end up in that space of again, that number is really just not that important as we start to kind of. Mature, I guess, right? We we really start to understand that TRR really doesn't tell us a lot of anything, and I no. think I think that's Nothing. the I think that's the better point is getting back to measuring what matters and what's information that you can actually operationalize down that has some clarity and fidelity down through the organization, um, and I think it does get back to measuring that presence of positive stuff. What's something that you can tell me that I can actually use and something that I can actually use to change something? Right, and so for a really long time, it was lagging indicators, and then we kind of got into leading indicators. But then we can get into that whole talk. It kind of goes back to the safety culture piece we were talking about. There was a lot of really amazing salesmen in the mid '90s to mid 2000s that went out and sold this whole behavior-based safety stuff. Yeah, um, this whole kind of slew of behavioral psychologists. I bought it. Yeah, right. And and, <laughs> and I'm not. I won't pick on them because they they made some progress. There's some good stuff in there. I'll, I'll gladly admit that there's some great stuff in there, um, but. They went out and kind of sold that whole thing, and safety culture was kind of embedded in that because you could go out and say, hey, you can write me a check, and I'll help you build a safety culture. Oh, my gosh. And I'll show you how to do an observation program, and then you yep. can trend stuff, and we can come up you with these really trend, cool graphs. You can trend at-risk behavior. Right. You can quantify how often you have at-risk behavior and we can occurring in your plan. Count how many times your supervisors observe people <laughs> so you know what they're doing, you know right. that they're really doing what you want them to do. Yeah, because and, 5% of all incidents that happen in the workplace are from the environment. Did you know that when they hit the next slide, there's that big 95, 95% of it is caused by behaviors, and all the you know execs in the room, their eyes get massive, and they're like, Wait, where, where do I sign? Right, they, they just don't go deeper and understand that about 70% of those behaviors, if you go a slide further, mm -hmm. is system-induced behaviors, <laughs> right? right? And, the, and then the... the 
the remainder of that is kind of brain fart behaviors that you're never going to fix anyways. It's going to be the, oh, crap, I forgot my cell phone, right? I, or I forgot my keys, that kind of, that kind of right. error behavior. So they, they, they kind of forget and leave the <laughs> yeah. those parts out because they're not as quick to write, to sign the check. Great, great. And, and yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a knock on them because it, the, the theory is, I think it's just misapplied. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just misapplied in, in, in the workplace. Well, it, um, but, but they focus a lot on the, 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 the behavior and the consequence and they forget the antecedent. Yeah. A lot of times, right? They, they, lose they lose, tra- lose track of the of the holistic aspect of it. You, right. you, you lose sight of that right. in, in in BBS, unfortunately. And I think that um, Hop really opens with holism. Mm-hmm. It opens with everything is connected. Yeah. You know, like you have an incident. It's like there's so many. There's a litany of factors that contributed to that, and the incident is just a manifestation of those interactions. And I think and, it's that, right? It's, it's acknowledging the complexity that exists there. Mm-hmm. And that's the harder part for some of the more traditionalists, I think, to, that they struggle with, especially when you start challenging some more linear processes like root cause and different things. When you say, well, this is probably never actually repeatable anyways. Right. Right? Because a lot of their old stuff was kind of built on that, that you have to prevent reoccurrence. And if you have enough events and you prevent enough reoccurrence, the bad stuff stops happening. And then you can fix the behaviors from all the other behavioral stuff. And then eventually, well, you man, oh man, what did you think about that one? I think I know what your answer is going to be. You can slide into the DM, send me an email, let me know, like it, love it, hate it, all that kind of stuff. But again, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I know what you're going to say. Um, I'll tell you my thoughts. Ian is just an awesome person, an awesome safety practitioner, an awesome leader of people. Uh, I will tell you that. I just think Ian is this really, really interesting combination of education and street smarts and knowledge uh, and all that kind of know-how wrapped into a person that just gets it. And that's a really, really hard thing to find. So what do you think? Like it, love it, hate it, got to have it somewhere in between. That was part one. We'll be giving you part two next week. Make sure you tune into that for the conclusion of my conversation with the one, the only, the amazing, and the great Ian Allison. Again, that will be next week. I look forward to it. This is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. Until next time, bye, everybody. Bye.